Hello, I'm Flick Beckett and welcome to the Love of Cinema, a picture house podcast proudly supported by Kia, champions of independent cinema. On this special episode, we will be talking to director Matthew Morgan and actors Tom Courtney and John Bradley about their new film, The Railway Children Return, in cinemas now. Someone in hideout, soldier or spy. He's in there. Stay back. Are you German? No, I'm on your side. I'm Abe. I can't talk about it, but I'm on a secret mission. If you tell anyone, you're putting me and yourselves in danger. What if the captures hiding him? We can't give him up. So welcome to the Picture House podcast and congratulations on bringing this really dynamic and diverse sequel, The Railway Children Return, to the big screen. Well, thank you very much. So can you tell me about the fascinating genesis? It was from an idea, I believe, by the producer, Gemma Rogers, and then how you came to be involved. Well, I was sent uh, a draft of the script, a relatively early draft, and just engaged with it through Danny's writing, Danny Brocklehurst, the writer, who I've admired for a long time. And and, um, he brought a a great warmth, humour to a story, adventure, and it all was underpinned by history and history that had been researched by Gemma Rogers, the, the producer. And for me, I was sent the script at a time, it was early on in the pandemic, and it was at a time when we were, a lot of us separated from, from our families in, in sometimes quite difficult circumstances, and, and including my own through illness in the family. And it just invited me to reflect on that period in history um, in 1944, and during the war in general, um, World War II, when those evacuations took place and and children were were separated from their families um, and sent off to the countryside to safety. And I have young children as well, and and I imagine being in in that position as a parent and saying goodbye to my children and imagining what it would be like for them as well. And I think that connected with me and also through my own family history, my grandfather, my father was adopted during the war, and we later discovered that his father was a, a Canadian GI. And actually, after my, my father passed away, we discovered that uh, my grandfather, my biological grandfather, was still alive and living in Canada in, in his 90s. And, and we went out to meet him. <laughs> and I think just the story of families that were kind of broken up during the war, but then new families that were made because of those circumstances, because of people being displaced, GIs being in in this country, having a relationship with a a local woman in the case of my own family and my grandma and, and grandfather. And then, yeah, just these new kind of units that were created when children went off to the countryside and, and spent time with families there. So I just was reflecting on it in, in, in that way and, and connecting with it and connecting with the history that underpinned the script as well. And it, it, I mean, it, sadly, in lots of ways, it does have a remarkably prescient feel to it for lots of very different reasons but you must have had a relationship with the original which obviously came out in 1970 which again you know it dealt with quite interestingly dark sides of life you know and I just wondered what your relationship with or your thoughts were on the original story and whether you had any reservations about bringing a sequel to life. Well 
I'd obviously seen the original and I, but I hadn't seen it for a while. And, and when I read the script, I, I went back to the original, I watched it and I watched it a number of times and, and I was interested in the, in what had made it such an enduring classic and, and why it's connected with people for such a long time. And, and I think that the sort of fact that it, it deals with some challenging themes, family separation again, but it's it's surrounded by kind of warmth and, and love and humor as well and adventure. And it has a very strong female protagonist in Bobby. And I think that was really important in the original as well. And it was really important to us in, in the sequel. But I, I didn't want to be overly conscious of, of, of referencing the original. And, and, I, and I wanted our film to, to stand up on its own two feet as well. And for young people who were coming to it for the first time, that uh, if they hadn't seen the original, that watching a sequel wouldn't be confusing for them and, and uh, they wouldn't need to have seen the original in order to see this. So that was important too. And I really felt that. I, I, I had big concerns. I was like, oh, okay, because obviously The Railway Children is a huge classic and, and it's very, it's iconic for the reasons that you, meant, you say. It, it does tackle dark, difficult subjects with a deft lightness of touch. It's a very, very subtle, brilliant film. And I loved that you brought this whole dynamic new universe to it in, in that, um, you know, Jenny Agata is now in her 50s. She's a grandmother. And there's some lovely, delightful references, like Lily has her beret and that she is almost the spirit of Bobby. And I just thought there was just some really clever bits with the script, like where there's a lovely bit where Jenny Agata, as Bobby says, the children are taking action. It is not antics. And she sees herself in them. And so there's no layering on this is the railway children. It was just, I just thought it was very subtle and really well done. Can you tell me about bringing the spirit of Bobby into Lily played beautifully by Bo Gadsden? Absolutely. Thinking of, of Bobby as an activist was, was really important. And going back to the original, it was very clear to me that she was very proactive, that if she saw an injustice that she would take action, even if that meant going against the grain of the thinking, the adult thinking around her, she was doing it for the right reason. And she was quite maverick like that. And I felt that that, that would have continued through her adult years and, and Jenny felt that too. And, you know, we had a, a number of scenes that were set in, in the kitchen, for example, and, Jenny's point was, I don't think she, she quite said this, but I think the point was, uh, Bobby hasn't been in the kitchen for the last 40 years making jam. And, and so it was important for us to understand what she had been doing in those intervening years. And we discussed that she would have been a suffragette. She would have been part of that movement. We discussed that she would have been a magistrate as well and having that very strong sense of, of right and wrong. And also that she would support the children in our story, in, in their actions, by taking a situation into their own hands where they see an injustice and being very proactive and taking a big risk. And, and to understand why somebody, uh, why an adult, a grandmother, Bobby, would support that and back them in doing that, I think we had to understand what her history had been between the, the original, the time the original was set and, and where she is now in her life. 
So tell me about bringing Jenny Agatha on board. She must have been very wary, I guess, of the invitation. What, what, what was her response? Well, I think Jenny, it, it, again, it was important for Jenny to believe in the project and uh, to have that kind of understanding of her character and, and why she was coming back and what had happened in between. I know that, that Jenny really loved being with the children and acting with the children and the children just brought such great energy to the production and they're, they're all kind of wonderful characters in their own right at different stages in their lives and, and in their careers as actors and, and some hadn't done any acting before and some had done quite a bit uh, and, and I think they just brought such great energy to, to the set and, and I've, I've seen Jenny kind of really enjoy that as well and be very generous and caring towards them. I'm sure that she enjoyed that experience as well. So, but yeah, it was important for her to know certain things about, about her character and what had happened. And it was important for her to discuss those. And I think it was important for her to be reassured that we were thinking about those things too, because it must be difficult stepping back in, into those shoes 50 years later. Although the sequel is set 40 years after the original, it's actually 50 years after the original was made and into such an iconic role for her. And she has become the custodian, if you like, of the railway children. So mm. it's very important to, to have her blessing, really. And it's important for her to believe in it because she doesn't want to come on board a project that doesn't do, do the original justice in some way. And she's, she, she's rightly protective of it. Lionel Jeffries' film is a great film and he isn't around anymore. And so Jenny is, is the sort of natural custodian, I think. She is. And, and I think like with the original, like a lot of people might imagine that it's, it's, it doesn't tackle big subjects, but it does. And it's, you know, the shame and ostracization of a family whose father is accused of spying. And, I'm, and I was really impressed with your tackling the treatment of black GIs and by not only their own side, but also with the conscription of children within that context. And um, can you tell me about the origin origins of the story for Abe, beautifully played by KJ Aikens as well? Well, I don't think the story um, or the experience of, of black GIs um, stationed in the UK is very well known. I believe there are over 200,000 and uh, one in 10 American soldiers in the UK uh, was black. But they did experience segregation in the American army and Jim Crow style laws were imposed upon them. And that extended to them not being allowed to drink in the local pubs where they were stationed on the same nights as the white officers and white soldiers. And often the, the local pubs and, and the local establishments were encouraged to, to put up signs saying that black soldiers weren't welcome. And in some cases in the UK, in England, the, the local establishments did the opposite and they put up signs saying black soldiers were, were welcome. And in, in one town in particular, Bamber Bridge, when one evening in 1943, there were some black GIs drinking in, in the pub, in the local pub, and some white soldiers came to remove them and a fight developed and the locals stood with the black GIs and then the Americans brought reinforcements 
and it developed into a, a quite serious situation and, and uh, a black soldier was killed and then a number were arrested and ultimately court-martialed as well. And that story is reflected in the film through the story of Abe. It's not entirely kind of recreated, but um, Abe's story is very much inspired by those events. Yes, and, and I think it's so, so important that in this day and age, when we are still looking at war and racism with a great deal of you know, vicious reality, that we can see that this history existed for us. So I really commend the film for, for taking on that storyline and dealing with it very, very well, especially with the character of Tom Courtney as Uncle Water, because I thought he provided the hope because it is a true thing that these things exist now, war and racism are very prevalent. But what he did was he presented for me, I thought, a message of how we, what we can do. We can do this. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think firstly with Tom, there's a reference, it's not necessarily obvious, but there's a reference to the old gentleman in the original film, as he was known, on the train, uh, who, who the children see and ask for help and who delivers them a, a big hamper of food and goodies. Um, and just the kindness, I think, that he shows. And having that figure in your life, whether they are a, a relative or or someone you encounter. I think it was important to have that figure in the film for us and, and who wouldn't want Tom Courtney as a, as a grandfather, you know, <laughs> he's just wonderful. But I think, again, that sense and understanding that you can affect change is important and supporting the children to do that and the children recognizing seeing something that is wrong and an injustice in a way that doesn't make sense to them but has been kind of accepted societally in a wider sense and I think just that the older generation they're connecting with the younger generation over that injustice but having some influence being able to find out some some details as he does to, to help the children on their mission, I think it's really important to sort of make that connection between the generations as well. Mm. And, and like you said, it is an adventure film, but I definitely got a real sense of danger. And, and I think that was a very important part of it as well. It, it wasn't cushioned. You know, when Thomas threw that egg, he was in big trouble. You know, and, and you didn't make it farcical, or, or, which I was really pleased that you didn't, you know, there wasn't like a trombone in the background, you know, it was serious. And I think adventure and the way adventure is depicted in kids films uh, or films that are aimed at families uh, is really important. And it, it often involves risk and danger and the stakes are high, you know, the, the stakes are real as they were in, in the original film. But whether it's Stand By Me or you know, whether it's ET, you know, the kids, they take on these missions and there's real risks involved and they're often up against the adults when they're doing it and they're being heroic in those situations. So I, I, yeah, all of those, all of those greats were certainly an inspiration for, for me. And, and that, in order to feel it, that risk has to, has to feel real and the drama has to feel real. So I'm going to finish up. This is a cinema podcast and this is a very cinematic film with all your steam trains and things. Tell me what cinema means to you and have you got a standout cinematic moment in your life that changed everything? 
<laughs> well, that's a tough one to be put on the spot with, but um, I, I think what cinema means has has really become more important and and certainly clearer through having, having gone through the pandemic and no, we obviously haven't come out of it, but to be able to be back in cinemas and to experience a film collectively is really important and it's a really wonderful thing. And actually the first time, my first feature film, a film called X plus Y, and as is the case, had been working with a uh, very small team and editor in a windowless room <laughs> for quite a long time, watching the film over and over again. And then really the first time, well, we, the premiere was at the Toronto Film Festival. And the night that it was on, it, there was torrential rain. It was like absolutely biblical. I almost never seen rain like it. And I just saw nobody is going to show up to watch the film. And I had a car to take me there and, and somebody was looking after me. And uh, we arrived at the cinema and there was nobody outside. And I said, and I was like, oh, that's it, well, nobody's turned up, it's understandable. And they said, no, you, you need to look around the corner. And I got out of the car and I looked around the corner and there was a queue all the way around the block. People standing there with their umbrellas in the rain, in good spirits. And I just, I just took the time to walk the length of the queue and it was a, a very moving thing for me. And then to be in the cinema, once everyone was inside and to hear a new soundtrack, a new layer of, of sound accompanying the film, which was, you know, laughter and just the reactions that you pick up on when you're, when you're sat with an audience. And of course it can go either way. And actually Toronto audiences are known to be very generous towards film. So <laughs> I think I was lucky in having that, that first experience there, but it was a very wonderful thing. And it confirmed the, the sort of importance of cinema and, and watching films together in that way. And that has been reaffirmed by my experience with the Railway Children Return and just the few screenings that we've had. We had the premiere the other day in Yorkshire and, you know, a good home crowd again. Um, but uh, it was just really wonderful to watch it and feel the excitement and the energy around it and yeah, lots of lovely reactions afterwards. So that's cinema is for me, you know, people being collectively moved, whether that's laughter, tears, that's what cinema is for me. That is fantastic. What a lovely story. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. Oh, well, likewise. And I'm, I'm sure we'll have you on the podcast again soon with your next film. <laughs> <laughs> Might be well. All right. Thanks very Thanks much. Thanks again. Cheerio. Nice talking. Bye. Take care. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. So welcome. Tom. This is a podcast, is it? It is. Yes, it's the Picture House. I've never. This is my first podcast. No. I'm sharing it with you, John. Oh, I'm honoured. 
Lovely. It's not my choice, though. Don't get big-headed. <laughs> so tell me, what is your relationship with the original? Tom, did you get to go and see it in the cinema? Uh, no, I saw it on television. I didn't see it till, um, you know, I'd agreed to be in this, this present one. Okay. Uh, yeah. Though I had a notion, I knew how huge it was, and I just remember... Jenny in this wonderful green berry that she wore, which she later told me was her choice. And, and she overruled the costume designer. I just remember this young thing. And I remember them stopping a train. But I knew it was huge. And I, but, and I saw it when, when, um, when I'd agreed to be in this one. And I thought it was lovely. And I, knew, I knew Lionel. Ah. That was who directed it, yeah. Yes. Because he was an actor formerly, wasn't he? Was, he was, yes. Yeah. I, I was in a play with him once. Mm, mm, yes. And John, what about your relationship with the original? Were you aware of it? Had you grown up with it or was, were you new to it? Absolutely. I, I have very vivid memories of watching the original on television one Sunday afternoon when I was five or six years old. And it's one of those films where even if you, you, even if you have only seen it once, it tends to stay with you. And certain certain scenes of it, and it's almost as if Jenny's, you know, Jenny's delivery of the "Daddy, my daddy" line. It's almost, it's almost as if it sort of pierces through history. Once you hear it once, you never quite forget it. And every time you hear it, you feel the same way that you did uh, the first time you heard it. And I just think that it, it's a film that so many people have such affection for, and I did too. And then I watched it again after I'd agreed to come on board, and it's just still so moving and still so potent and so powerful and yeah the yeah the idea that, that that i get to sort of step into that lineage and be involved in the follow-up it's enormous responsibility but a real privilege as well absolutely tom this can't be the first time that you've worked with jenny agatha surely have you worked with her before yeah i think 50 years ago okay was that in, on theater or on uh, screen on the theater shaw's arms and the man there was Jenny, there was me, and there was Brian Cox. What a cast. 50 years Wonderful. ago. Yeah. Yeah. How, much it, how much would it be to get in to see that show now? <laughs> yeah. It cost well, a fortune to get in to see that show. Not many came then, I tell you. Very <laughs> <laughs> no, well, And um, how was it working with Jenny now? Because she's still very passionate about being the curator, really, of the Railway Children. Oh, yeah, and it was, um, you know, it was essential that she'd be, she'd be in it in the film because she's the link and it means a lot to her and rightly so and i mean i i, I was uh, interested in, in it well a great deal of my interest came from the fact that she was doing it and we, and we emailed one another about it i wanted to know who whose uncle i was and she nobody seemed sure they just wanted a kindly uncle so we worked out i was jenny's um brother-in-law they just wanted a kindly man who was in politics there's a there's an equivalent one in in the in the first film there is and and, and i thought that um uncle walter played such a lovely beacon of hope in the same way that the gentleman did in the original especially as the film dealt with some very dark subjects war yeah. and racism and children being conscripted and and I thought mm. that, how did you feel about Uncle Walter? Did you feel that he was... Uh, well, oh, yeah, I thought he, as you say, oh, nice. You know, it's nice to play somebody nice. 
and I had a nice moustache, which did. is mine. <laughs> ah! Mine. A nice suit. And I, I did like, well, I like to see the two, I made two main scenes of one with the children, both, and then with the boy, to sort of comfort him. I mean, I'd say it to the whole world. I'd say it to you, John, that life, life isn't as bad as it sometimes seems. Yes, because the, the storylines are still very prescient, unfortunately, racism and war. But there, there is hope and there is still room for learning and for doing what we can all do right now. What are your thoughts, John? What were your thoughts on the actual storyline? Because the original was actually very dark as well. It had, you know, some really difficult subjects of a family being ostracised. You know, yeah. what, are your what are your thoughts on the topic we've <clears throat> chosen to cover? I just think it's amazing how we, sh we shot the film a, a year ago, but it's amazing how even though, you know, the racism, uh, institutionalised racism story that we had is still tra tragically as relevant as ever, it seems, probably more so, but there are certain elements within the film that have become even more relevant in the year since we shot it. For example, you know, the very first you know, introduction to the film is deals with innocent children flee in a war zone to safety and that's something that, that you know with ukraine in the in the 12 months since we shot it's become mm -hmm. almost overwhelmingly pertinent and also mm -hmm. there's a tiny little reference in it which i picked up on and i'm sure other people will as well where bobby talks about joining the suffragette movement and you think with the things that's going on in america now with women's rights and you know people making choices on women's behalf and not really giving them much of a say in it you think, oh, if you deal with talk about racism, the effect of war on children and women's rights, it's suddenly become an even more pertinent film than it was when I read the script 12 months ago. It's amazing how some issues just refuse to go away. Mm. And yet a film like this, I feel, is, is, is kind of like a Trojan horse in that you might think it is one thing and yet it introduces these ideas so beautifully. And the, the script I felt was so deft and graceful, especially with your character. Tell me about Perks, because he does actually tackle some quite interesting war issues. Yeah, and the thing, the thing about Richard, which I found really quite, um, really quite interesting, and it, it built such a, it built such a um, very clear line back between Richard and Albert, Bernard's character in the original, was that, but they're both men who take enormous pride in their work. And it's almost a, uh, their life's mission is to be taken seriously. And I, th and, I, and, I, and I find both of their frustration really touching. Richard's frustration comes from the fact he's so desperate to fight the war, but he's not allowed to. And it's about his quest to contribute and his quest not to feel like a passenger and not to feel that people are fighting a war on his behalf. He wants to do everything he can to, to, to fight the war as best he can in his own way and on his own terms. And I find that, that spirit really moving and that motivation through the film to be really quite touching and inspirational. And, and I think that that's why Richard is so important because he's almost, he's almost the spirit of the children transferred into adulthood in terms of the children don't let themselves be bound by their physical limitations they want to make a difference and Richard does as well and it's and I think one of the main takeaways is the war can be fought on grand scales and men behind big, big desks make big decisions but if you've got the right spirit and the right character you can make a difference in your own way if you really 
you really want to. Yes, I think, what do you think, Tom? I, I think uh, definitely with Uncle Walter, I think um, he inspired the children in a, in, from feeling powerless to having some power. Well, I, I'm glad. <laughs> I can't <laughs> tell really. Um, and, and if you take that away, then that's good. I mean, they wanted this figure, there's a similar figure to the gentleman in the first film who would come in with some political knowledge that he has, because he works in the foreign office, can help them sort things out. And he realizes that the best way is that they stop the train. And that is when uh, that sweet scene that I did like with little Thomas, uh, I hand them over to John, hand him over to, well, he, I can't tell you, I don't know the time, I know they're on the train. He will, I know somebody who knows what time the train comes. So that's when we, that was our link, wasn't it? That was our, we never, yeah. No. We never. Yes, and I thought all of that lovely intrigue just fed into the spirit of adventure, as well as handling some really very d difficult topics. I mm. thought it was, yeah, very lightly handled, but yeah. very... I think I, I think that's that, that's one of that's one of the sort of most effective and moving elements of the film. The fact that you get these children who who are so pure in a way, and racism wouldn't even occur to them to be a thing. It's about it's about watching their innocence be taken away from them in a way. Their spirit remains, but it's about them discovering that human that human beings can be really quite mean to each other and vile to each other, and even in the backdrop of war. You know, thinking that you know who the enemy is, it's us versus versus the enemy. But even within us, even within us and our allies, there are still people who really hate each other for for the strangest of reasons. And seeing their innocence kind of shatter, it's really quite really quite beautiful and quite sort of overwhelmingly sad. I think we only discovered at lunchtime because um, we had lunch with Morgan that in fact there was in the American army, one black general who comes and sorts things out at the end. Now, that is a little bit unrealistic, but there was a black general and Hugh Corsi is marvelous in that scene when he gets off the train to sort things out. Yes, yeah. I, I thought it was a really fantastic telling of our history that needs to be told because not many people know that there were a great many black GIs that came over during the war and and suffered exactly what you saw. Yeah, Morgan the was telling us that in fact the black general, he was there to deal with black and, black and white relationships in the army. That was his job. And it was in England. Yeah, it really, it really, you know, I felt so heartened by that because finding that out for Morgan to say about that general, because I think I think there, there will be some people who have gone in for this film in terms of, of you know, not there's some people who probably don't want to see black, you know, black faces in Yorkshire in the 40s. But once we can explain it, it's very historically valid and it did happen. And you, and you just accept, you have to accept it as a sort of historical document that it sort of heads them off at the past, really, and gives us the freedom to tell the story that we want to tell, knowing that we can be backed up by fact. I think that was really important. Yes, well, at, the, at the outset, 
the general wasn't black. Might not have been a general, I can't remember. But when Morgan discovered there was a black general in England during the war, he even showed us a picture of him. Yeah. You can Google him. Fantastic. That's yeah. the way to go. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, what were the, the film just looked such fun to make as much as anything else. So what were the highlights for both of you? Have you got like a real standout moment where you just love this? <laughs> I, th I think it was the moment where I got to, knowing that I was playing a, a new generation of the Perks family and knowing that I was taking Bernard's place in a way, or not taking his place, but, you know, fulfilling the same function as, as Bernard would have if he could have joined us, and standing on the same station platform that Bernard stood on, looking out across a Yorkshire landscape that probably hasn't changed very much in 50 years. It's, it just felt so, like, it was so connected to the past and so connected to my childhood memories of watching that film and yeah you can't really fake things like that it's just like stepping into your childhood and something about it was so real and so vivid it was glorious yeah my highlight was when i was doing churchill for the children in the script they all cheered at one point and so i said perhaps it better if just the little one did <laughs> that was so did, he did it wrong he said here here and he was supposed to go hurrah but it didn't matter <laughs> <laughs> the children were great absolutely oh, wonderful i love yeah. the character of lily particularly i mean the, the film champions so many of the right things quite frankly and this is a cinematic podcast we have cinema so um i wonder if you can tell me what the experience has been like seeing it in the cinema i know that you had your um your uh, premiere the other day so yeah tell me about watching it with lots of people yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that, that's how that's how storytelling has evolved. Storytelling going back to you know Greek theatre and, and Roman theatre. It's always been a communal activity. People aren't meant to listen to stories on their own in isolation. They're meant to share it. It's meant to be a shared experience. You, if you're if you're watching something on on television on your own and it's a comedy, you tend to not laugh. And if you're watching something that's a tragedy, you tend to not cry on your own you get swept in that emotion and that's it, it's a collective thing and if people around you are laughing you're more likely to join in because you don't feel self-conscious or you feel you feel real like a real part of a movement and part of an energy and I just think that it'd be so so sad if that was to be lost and people just watch things on their phone or on their computer because storytelling is meant to be shared. There was one little laugh I laughed when the little lad was asked his name he says Adolf and that didn't get a laugh. Didn't seem to, no. Oh, that's a shame. I laughed. So when, like when, I know when you're rehearsing a play, though, you think you know when the laugh's going to come. You don't. It's true. It's true. And do you have any sort of standout cinematic moments, personally, this is a little bit of a left-field question, where cinema changed your life? Where you Can you remember, like, watching that film that you went, oh, my God, this is just the best? Oh, well, I... I think uh, Lauren Hardy, I loved when I was with And they have, there's been nothing better since. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. 100%. Even, even though I, I did actually. Fact, we're trying, I'm going to suggest, you know, John and I. Oh, I Hardy. can see it now. We'll have to, be, we'll have to age up a bit. So we'll find a way of making it work. Mm. But I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I did go to see them at the cinema. My local cinema in Manchester did a sort of season of them one summer. And yeah, I, I just remember watching them when I was very small and 
they're making me so happy. Mm. And I still think they're immaculate. I still think that 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 in terms of in terms of the way they use cinema as well, it's so so innovative because their their performances. You get some silent comedians and their performances are incredibly overblown. Stan and Ollie, they're actually remarkably subtle performances and the tiny little facial movements. Yeah, you have to just remember that. I, I, I can be, I can tend to be a bit large, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but just the way, just the way, the way Ollie used the camera, looking down the camera, involving the audience. I think they're much more cinematically innovative than they've ever been given credit for. And, I just watched them. They made me so happy and just thinking, you know, I'd love to make somebody else feel as happy as they're making me feel one day. And, and now, of course, you've linked up with me. You know, if that dream may come true. May one day come true, yeah. But I think that that's, that's where people's road to wanting to be actors starts, I think. And it's impossible to imagine Stan and Ollie not in a cinema, really. You know, I mean, I know they show them on telly, but it, they were cinema they were definitely thank you both so much for joining the picture house podcast today it's been a pleasure to speak with you and really great luck with this just brilliant dynamic new railway children film that's really kind of you flick thank you very much thank you